Thank you, Jonathan, Dan, and choir and worship team. Uh, well, good morning. Happy Father's Day. Man, I'm in a good mood. All right, anybody in a good mood today? I'm in a good mood. Yeah, it's man. I've had a donut, and uh, so I'm a little fired, a little wired. So if you know, got sugar. Uh, man, I hope you got to have a taco or a donut. Uh, man, can I just say to Wyatt uh, Warren and Pat Warren in her Sunday school class, thank you for the tacos. Uh, to Chris Sear and his group, uh, thank you for the donuts and obviously uh, for, for everything. Yeah, give it up. Thank you. Um, so uh, I think they reserved me a bacon, egg, and cheese because I didn't get to the taco. But we will see how that how that shakes out. But man, we're we're excited that you're here. I'm glad that you're here on Father's Day and have an opportunity to worship uh, with your family. I want to say welcome to uh, kindergarten through fifth grade. Uh, they're not always with us, but we thought it would be good to have them in here on Father's Day. And uh, and and I don't know if we thought about this. But it's probably wise having given them a donut not to send them over to the children's workers. So, um, you know, we've already, you know, so anyway, so, um, so I get to try to keep us together. But we're really excited that you're here to share our day with us. If you have your Bibles, please take them. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. We're in a series in Hebrews, and we're going to kind of stay there this morning. As you find your way, I, I want to just kind of start off. Um, how many of you have ever been to Garner State Park? Anybody to Garner State Park? Awesome, good. Um, actually, we went to Garner on Friday uh, in honor of my oldest daughter's 15th birthday. She turned 15 on Thursday. So, yeah, clap and pray. We had our first driving experience just a couple weeks ago. And uh, she wants to do that again this weekend. So, but we're we're excited, uh, man. We, we we had a great day at uh, at Garner State Park. We had a great time. Kind of everything but the sunburn. Uh, you know, if you've ever been down there, you you float down the river and they give you the three and a half hour version or the two hour version. And we took the short version. But I'm I, I'm convinced sunblock should be called sunburn. You know, we used to have suntan. That's a that's another story. But so we, other than that, we had a great time. Uh, and so what I want you to think about with me, where have you been in life that you say, man, that is, that, is, that is the greatest place that I've ever been? I wouldn't say Garner's the greatest place I've ever been, but I would say it's one of the great, one of the more beautiful places in Texas. If you hadn't been there, you ought to go and experience because you can appreciate uh, really some of God's beauty. But what I want you to think about, what I want you to imagine this morning, in, in fact, uh, you might even want to close your eyes, but I want you to think about what is that place that you've been? What is that experience that you've had? And you say, man, man, that is the greatest, most beautiful, most enjoyable. You choose your adjective, but I want you to think about that place. Maybe it's somewhere, and I'll talk to the kids for a minute. Maybe it's somewhere where you had really great time. Maybe you think Fiesta, Texas, or maybe you would think, man, Man, I just loved going to Disney World. Maybe you went to that experience and uh, got to go to Disney World. Um, or or maybe, maybe you would think about a place where you've had some of your greatest memories. Maybe it would be your honeymoon if you're married. Uh, maybe you went to Jamaica or Cancun or, or maybe you went to Del Rio, wherever it was. But you had some great memories. And I want you to think about that. Or, or, or maybe it was a... a 
maybe it's a place where you just had a great experience. Like uh, maybe you caught a really big fish or maybe you shot a really big deer or, or maybe you you got your first elk or whatever. And, you know, it's Father's Day, so I'm talking to men. Or, or ladies, maybe you, you bought a pair of shoes and you got three pair for free, okay? So uh, I don't think that ever happens. But, I mean, just imagine... So, so, or, or maybe, maybe it's just a place where it's just, it was so beautiful. You just kind of stood in awe. And if you've been to Alaska, maybe you've just looked around and go, man, this is incredible. Or maybe uh, that's true if you went to Hawaii. For me, probably that experience was, was when I went to, to Jenny Lake in, in, in uh, the Grand Teton Mountains in, in Wyoming. And I just, I was just in awe at this God that we serve. And, and so just, so, as you get this place in your mind, here's what I want you to know. As good as that was, as beautiful as that is, and as much fun as you might have had, and as much fulfillment as it might have brought to you, it doesn't hold a candle to heaven. It doesn't. Did you know? I mean, think about this. Uh, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2, Verse 9, he says, I has not seen, ear has not heard, the mind of man cannot imagine the glories that are waiting for us. Now, he says the Spirit of God can reveal it to us, but we can't imagine how great it is. In fact, in the second letter to Corinthians, Paul was caught up to a third heaven. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But he said, I, he said, I heard some, he said, I just heard some things. They were so good. They were so good, God said, you can't say anything about them. In fact, just to keep you from bragging too much about it, the Bible says God gave him a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what that was. If he gave him some kind of uh, injury in his side, he gave him some kind of sickness or whatever. But, man, it was so good, God said, you, you can't talk about this. And so heaven is going to be this grand and glorious place. And so what I want to do this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture, we're going to look at what, what I, I would say is probably one in, in the top 20 or top 25 hardest passages to deal with in the text. And, and, yet, and it's the fifth of five warnings in the book of Hebrews. And yet we're going to read it, we're going to look at it. And what I want to do is we're going to filter out what it says about heaven, or at least some of what it says about heaven. So look with me in your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning... In verse 18, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God and the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape 
if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. And thus, let us, let us offer to God, or let us be grateful to God for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Shall we pray together? Father, as we read this text, Lord, it, uh, it is challenging and difficult, and we hear and read about the, the sheer majesty and, and, and literally power and terror of a holy God. And yet we see in the text a gracious, merciful God that offers salvation for free and heaven as a gift. And God, I pray in the next few moments that you would help us to to take this text, to, to make some practical application from it, and then, Lord, uh, and just be able to go out of here today excited about the prospect of heaven and motivated, Father, to be leaders and influencers so that people will join us in heaven. So, God, would you have your way in every life and every heart? Father, I know when we gather this many and we have a group this size, there, there are many who are believers and there are some who have yet to choose to follow Christ. And God, my prayers for that man, that dad, the mom, uh, the young person, Father, the, 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 the child that has yet opened their heart to Jesus, that today they would decide, I want to know this Jesus. I want to be a citizen of heaven. So God, would you have your way in every heart and every life, and we'll give you the glory and the honor for all you do. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you might be thinking he was talking about heaven and he read about two mountaintop experiences. Now, you may not have noticed, but the first three or four verses deal with the mountain experience that Israel had at Mount Sinai. They came out of Egypt, and when they came out of Egypt, God met with them and he gave them the Ten Commandments. And in the process of that, God revealed himself on that mountain. And the Mount Sinai experience, that was when God gave the covenant of law. And God communicated to them how holy and righteous and majestic he was. And it's really, if you were to put all that together, you could almost imagine a Steven Spielberg scene. God says to Moses, three days from now, I'm going to appear on Mount Sinai. And it was a desert mountain. It's pretty bare. But he says, I'm going to appear there. You have everybody prepare themselves and they come out there. Man, when they came out there on the third day, man, there was, there was fire coming down from heaven. There was darkness surrounding the mountain. And the, word, the text there says there was this great gloom. If we read the passage in Exodus, it would talk about thunder and lightning. And, and there was this great trumpet and it was so loud and it was so majestic and it was so mind-boggling. They, they said to Moses, we don't want to hear from God anymore. You go talk to him, and then you come tell us what he said. In fact, the Scripture says Moses trembled with fear. In fact, the Scripture says even this place became so holy, not only could the people not go up on the mountain, it said even if an animal touches the mountain, they were going to die. What an experience. 
Now, why would, why would the writer put that in here and what would that say to us this morning? What it said to the Hebrew audience that he was writing to is that God is holy and he's majestic and he's powerful. But because he's holy, he's got to deal with our sin. And, and so the Old Testament person, they lived in fear of God because God is holy and God is righteous. And he demands holiness. And so they trembled. But notice here, and I know that's pretty deep, but notice what the writer said in verse 22. He says there in verse 22, he says, but you have come to Mount Zion. You, we've not, we're not a part of the Mount Sinai experience. We're not under law. We're under Mount Zion, and that's the picture of grace. He says, you've come to Mount Zion, the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem, you know, the, the assembly of the firstborn, if you will. And so the contrast is you've got the mountain of the Old Testament, the, the mountain of Sinai, and that's about God's law, and it's about holiness, and it's about punishment. And then you've got Mount Zion, which is in Jerusalem. And you read about, if you read about it in the text, in the scriptures, it's always talking about heaven. And, and, and Mount Zion, it's about God's grace. And it's about God's love. And it's about God's mercy. And there's this great contrast. It says, now, if you want to live under the law, you're subject to, this, to God's holiness and his judgment. But if you want to, if you want to live under grace, if you want to come under Jesus' authority, man, you're, you're not subject to God's judgment. You're subject to God's freedom and forgiveness. And so the writer gives us great contrast. And, and what, what kind of if we boil that down for us, what, what we need to understand is that, that even though the God we serve is holy and righteous, he loves us and he loves us so much that he gave Jesus to die for our sin and to satisfy God's wrath and God's holiness. Let, think about it this way. Uh, imagine if you were growing up, and kids, just imagine this, and, and I'll kind of look back, but just let's say you were eight, nine, maybe ten years old, and, and uh, you got in trouble. And, I mean, this wasn't just, I mean, you got in, this was big trouble. And you were going to get a spank in it. I mean, we're not... I mean, it wasn't that deal. You know how you would take and you'd bend the writh and you'd get little taps. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about, you know, we're talking about maybe the belt or we're talking about maybe, you know, whatever that might look like. You know, you've got to kind of bend up. I mean, we're talking about some discipline. You know, spare the rod, spoil the child. So imagine that you, you, maybe you just looked your mother in the eye. I can relate to this. And you just lied bald-faced. And, and then she finds out. And so you're in big trouble. And you go and she says, you, look, you get ready over there or whatever. And, you're, and you know, man, the bomb is fixing to drop. And you're at that moment. And your older brother comes and says, Dad, I'm going to take his place. Now, I don't know what your family was like. That didn't happen at my house. <laughs> right? I mean, how did that happen for you, right? No, no, that didn't happen in my house. Hey, that's what Jesus did for you and me. 
God is holy, righteous, and perfect, and he's got to punish sin. But Jesus went to the cross and says, Dad, I'll take your place. And the re- listen, listen, the reason there's a city called heaven, the reason there's a place called heaven, the reason there's a Mount Zion, the reason there's a heavenly Jerusalem is because, because God in his grace and his love let Jesus take our place. And so if we look at our text, let me just say a couple things about this place. We'll call it the city of heaven. Now, the Bible gives us a lot of different things about heaven. Uh, did, did you know that there are three different kinds of heaven or three different heavens? Uh, the Bible tells us, uh, describes for us at least three. First of all, we would call it the atmospheric heaven. That's where the birds and the airplanes fly. If you go out and look up and you see the birds in the sky and you see the, you know, I mean, you see kind of up to the blue line, that's the atmospheric heaven. The second kind of heaven is what we would call the stellar heavens. Uh, you really don't see that. You see maybe a little bit of it in the daytime, but you really see it well at night. Uh, Psalm 19 verse 1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God and His majesty. Now that's talking about the stars and the planets and the galaxies and all that stuff. But there's a third heaven, which is unique. It's where God dwells. And, and in fact, when Paul, in 2 Corinthians 12, when Paul said, I was caught up to heaven, he says, he said, I don't know if I was in my body or I was just had a vision. He says, but I was caught up to the third heaven. The third heaven is the presence of God. And it's unique and it's majestic. And when the Bible talks about heaven, For the believer, when the Bible talks about the city of heaven uh, or the city of God and the Bible talks about the heavenly Jerusalem, what it's talking about is that place where God dwells. Now, interestingly enough, now we don't have time to get in great detail, but it talks in the latter part of our text. It talks about how God's one day God's going to shake the heavens and the earth. When God does that, he's going to create a new heaven and he's going to create a new earth and it's all going to be wrapped up into one. And that, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's the heaven you have to look forward to. In fact, I want to tell you about it. Turn with me over in your Bible to Revelation 21. Let me just share with you a couple things about this this unique heaven. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Uh, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them. Now watch this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. Where the former things have passed away. So it's going to be a perfect place, heaven. Look down at verse 10, where it says that he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Now look at this statement, having the glory of God. See, heaven's going to be a glorious place. Now, because uh, God's going to be there. Now he goes on to talk a little bit in more detail about that, but let me just quickly say, heaven's going to be a glorious place. Because God's going to be there. Jesus is going to be there. We're going to walk with him. And, and we don't really know what that's going to be like, but we know it's going to be perfection. But not only is it a glorious place, if you look on down about verse 16, it describes that heaven's going to be a huge place. It says the city lies four square. It's length the same as its width. And, they, and he measured the city with his rod. It's 12,000 stadia. So if you want to know how big heaven's going to be, think about this. Who's been to Canada? Who's ever driven to Canada from here? Anybody? Okay, four of you. Good. 
It's roughly, just imagine with me, from here to Canada, about 1,500 miles. And then imagine with me from here maybe to um, probably to Nags Head, North Carolina, the outer banks of North Carolina. Just kind of imagine that, that kind of score. So it's about 1,500 miles this way, and it's about 1,500 miles that way. Now, that's pretty good size, but here's what I want you to imagine. It's also 1,500 miles that way. Now, I don't know about your kids. My kids love to stay in a hotel. I mean, they, they, you know, I don't know if it's the pool thing. I don't know kind of what is it. But, but if you've ever been in one of these really... Uh, you, one of these really nice hotels, you know, they got the big walls around, but you get in the middle and you got that atrium, and that atrium just, you just look, and it's just, there's just a sense of awe, you know, because you look, you look up 20 or 30 stories, and it's just, it's, it's just kind of unique. Imagine heaven. Can you imagine the elevator? 1,500 miles? What kind of ride would that be? What if somebody pushed all the buttons? Right? But I mean, so, so, Boys and girls, moms and dads, all of us, I want us to just imagine this place. This place is going to be, it's, it, I mean, it's huge. I mean, if, if you've been to the Mall of America, they got a, anybody been to the Mall of America in Minneapolis? Man, they got a, they got a theme park inside, and that thing's only six stories tall. Heaven is 1,500 miles tall. What kind of place is that going to be? It is huge. It's huge. But you know what else? You know what else is, is interesting about heaven? It's a glorious place. It's a huge place. But it's, it, it's, it's personal. It's personal. Turn in your Bibles to, uh, turn to John chapter 14. I, I will, he's having a little conversation with his disciples the night before he is crucified. And, and you, if you've been to many funerals, you've heard this, you know this, but I want to I point something out to you. Listen to what he says. Chapter 14 of John, uh, verse 1 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Be- believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would, have to- would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way where I'm going. Did you notice that there's about six or seven pronouns there that are personal where Jesus says to his disciples, man, I'm going to heaven and I'm fixing it up for you. Now, what he promised to the disciples, he's promised to all of us who are believers. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, he's gone to heaven. And he's preparing a place for you. Now, I don't know exactly what that place is going to look like, but just imagine in this 1,500-mile square building, somewhere in there, you're going to have a room. You're going to have a place. It's going to be yours. Because Jesus said, I'm going to prepare there to, to make a place for you, and if I go there and make a place for you, I'm going to come back and get you. I'm going to take you to be with me. And so that's... That's kind of a picture, if you will, of the city of heaven. Go back to Hebrews, because I want to ask this question. Who are going to be the citizens of heaven? We've seen a description of the city, but but who's going to be there? Uh, In Vacation Bible School, I brought a big whiteboard up here, and I I wanted to talk to the boys and girls about uh, about heaven and what it was going to be like and and how to get there. And so I kind of drew a little picture over here of heaven and and, and asking this question. I said, who's going to be in heaven? And, And without question, they said, God. 
I said, who else? They said, Jesus. And if I'd have went on, they'd have said angels. Listen, obviously God's going to be there. And obviously uh, Jesus is going to be there in the Holy Spirit. And obviously the angels are going to be there. In fact, the scripture says here uh, in Hebrews 12, verse 22, that there's going to be myriads of angels. We're not really sure. But we're thinking that's 10,000, at least 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands upon thousands. So that's a million plus angels. That's a lot. And they're in festal gathering. Now, I think we always think about heaven in terms of there's going to be singing and there's going to be worship. And I get that. But when I think about a festal gathering, uh, I think about the family getting together. And you know what happens when the family gets together. We love the fellowship and we love to hang out and we love to eat. In fact, we, it was interesting. We, we got loaded up to pull out of Garner Park on, on Friday afternoon. It was about 6.30 and we went by this group. Man, they had a, there was about 20 tents. And then they had, they had the grill fired up. And I, I'm thinking they had the chicken. I, I don't know what they had going, but I'm thinking it was going to be good. Now, I don't know what they're cooking in heaven. But I know at least from Revelation 22, the tree of life is going to be there. And every month, it's going to have a different fruit. Every month. And we're going to be, so we're, there's going to be some eating and some celebrating in heaven. And, and so the question is, who's going to be there? God, Jesus, the angels. But notice what our text is. Look down in your Bibles at verse 23. This is a really interesting uh, verse, at least to me. Maybe it's because I'm a preacher. But listen to what it says. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. The assembly, that's a big word for a gathering. There's a group of people. That's why I talk about the family. Listen, heaven's going to be a group of people. They're all going to be related. They're all going to be believers in Jesus. And says, says there's an assembly of the firstborn. Now, that's kind of an interesting word. How many of you were, in your family, you were the first one born? You, you were first in the birth, birth order. How many of you? Raise them up high. I kind of want to know. Okay. So probably about one out of four. I was, I was in the middle of five. So does that mean we're out of luck because we weren't born first? Because, in, you know, in, in Jewish culture, if you were first, guess what you got? You got double what everybody else got. So it was good to be first, right? Well, what the writer is saying, he's not saying, hey, if you're born first, you're going to get a better blessing. What he's saying is when you come to Jesus, you become the firstborn. You're going to get the double blessing. Now, who's that going to be? Look what he says. The assembly of the firstborn. Now, notice there, you can't really see this in that word, but it says... uh, who are enrolled in heaven? How many, how many of you were, have ever been enrolled in school? That should be everybody, right? We've all been enrolled. Okay. Now, did you enroll yourself or did mom and dad enroll you? Somebody enrolled you, right? Pretty much? Yeah. Yeah. I, hey, if I didn't enroll me, I wouldn't have went. Somebody enrolled you. What that ver- you can't see this in that word, but what that word says is that somebody has enrolled you in heaven. And you can't see that in the word, but what it means, they enrolled you. They didn't just enroll you in, in heaven, but they wrote it in ink. 
because it's permanent. Now, you don't see all that in that word, but what that word means is that, is that when, you're, when you get enrolled in heaven, you're there forever. Because here's the thing. God has a book. And everybody that comes to know Jesus, their name gets written in that book. And God doesn't have an eraser. He writes it in ink, and it's permanent. And, and so what you, what you and I need to realize is that the citizens of heaven are the people whose names are written in the book. Because God has a book. Now, the, I don't know if y'all remember this, but in, the, in, the, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus had been training his disciples. They'd been with him probably about a year and a half, maybe two years. Uh, maybe even a little longer than that. And he'd been teaching them and he'd been training them. And it was ready for, he was ready to push them out of the nest. And so what he did is he said, okay, I want you to go two by two and I'm going to send you out and you're going to go and you're going to preach and you're going to heal and you're going to do all this stuff. And so he sends them out. And when they came back, they were so excited. They came running back and they said, Jesus, you're not going to believe what happened. We went out there and we started preaching and we started talking and we started healing people. And he said, Jesus, you're not going to believe this. Even the demons did what we told them. I mean, they were excited. And Jesus, here's what he said. You can read it in Luke 10, 18, but here's kind of what he said. He said, hey, I saw Satan fall from heaven. And I've given you authority to stomp on snakes and scorpions. And I've given you authority to come, overcome all the power of the enemy. He said, I've given you all that stuff. He says, but don't be excited about that. He says, be excited that your name is written in heaven. And so what I, what I would say to you, the most important thing about heaven is that your name is written there. Because God has a book and those who are enrolled in heaven are going to be there. And so we've, we've kind of looked at the city of heaven and we've kind of talked about the citizens of heaven. He kind of goes on and he talks about what Jesus is going to be there. And then there's the spirits of the righteous men made perfect. That's really a reference to the Old Testament saints. But when we think about heaven, we need to think about, okay, the way I get there is I get there uh, by becoming a citizen of the kingdom. Now, um, my third grader had Immigration Day a few weeks ago. I may have talked to y'all about this, but being a good dad, if I did, forgive me, but being a good dad, I volunteered. And, and we, some guy had built a boat, but, but I had the job of putting together the boat so they could experience what it might have been like to go to Ellis Island. And, you know, and they had to go, and they had to have X amount of money. And then when they got there, they had to take a test. So, so in order to, be, to get in, they had to, take a t they had to have money, they had to buy a ticket, they had to, they had to have a place to live and, and all these different things. In, in fact, if you do a Google search of, of what you've got to do to become a citizen of the United States, it's amazing. I mean, you've you got to have a green card. You've you got to live here for five years. You've got, I mean, you got to have kind of continuous residence, and there's some other things about that. Then you've got to, be able, you gotta, uh, you gotta have a place to live. You've got to be able to pass a test. You've got to be fluent. It's amazing. You've got to be able to communicate in English. There, there's all kind of responsibilities in, in order to become a citizen of the United States. And if you become a citizen, it's one of the most amazing things. One, in fact, one of our members, I don't know if Mario uh, Fascio is here today, but he just became a citizen a few months ago. When I was in Georgia, my youth pastor, after five years coming from Romania, he became a citizen. I mean, it was the most... I mean, 
Y'all, we don't know what that's like unless you've not been a citizen. But here's what I want you to think about. What, what does it take to become a citizen of heaven? If you're going to become a citizen of the U.S., you've got to do this and this and this and this. You've got to live here and have this. You've got to have this. You got to be, I mean, there's a list. But do you know what you've got to do to become a citizen of heaven? You just got to believe that Jesus died for your sins on a cross. And you've got to be willing to, to take that belief and say, okay, God, I believe Jesus died for my sins. And, it, and I'm willing to turn from my way of living. And, I, and I'm willing to turn, turn and start walking with Jesus. That's what it takes to get in to heaven. You've you got to get your name written in the book. And the way you get your name written in the book is you've got to believe in Jesus. And you've got to turn to him and trust him. Can I ask you this morning? Is your name written in God's book? Has your name been written in God's book? Are you a citizen of heaven? Well, real quickly, let's look at one, one more thing. We've talked about being a citizen of heaven. We've talked about the city of heaven. Let me share one last thought, and that is this. I'll call it the citizenship of the heavenly. You know, a citizen, citizenship is the state of being vested with the rights, privileges, and duties of a citizen. Did you know when you become a citizen, you have certain responsibilities uh, and you have certain benefits? When you become a citizen of heaven, do you know the privileges you get? I mean, you get total forgiveness. Can you imagine everything that you've ever done? Everything. You know that, you know that stuff that mom never knew about? Jesus forgave that. When you come to Jesus, not only that, not only, when you come to Jesus, not only is everything you've ever done forgiven, but everything you're ever going to do is forgiven. So you get absolute forgiveness. You get total peace with God. You get what the Bible calls eternal hope. And then you get this, this unshakable kingdom. Man, the benefits are heaven. They're, man, they're, they're awesome. But you know what else? There's some responsibilities. As a citizen, you got privilege, but you got duty. Now, what are the duties of heaven? Look down in your Bible. I know we're skipping some stuff. Look down at verse 28 real quickly where he says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom. You know, one of the greatest evidences that you're really saved is you're grateful for what God's done for you. Are you thankful? Does God know you're thankful? Doesn't it encourage your heart as a parent when your kids are grateful? Man, we got, we, I think it was after we got home Friday night, uh, my 15-year-old comes to me and she puts her arm around me. And she says, Dad, thank you for today. Thank you for today. How often, how often do we go into our room and say to Jesus, thank you for giving me new life? Are we grateful for what he's done? I've been reading in Luke in a quiet time. I don't, I don't know where you guys are reading. I hope you have a quiet time every day. I think that's really important. That's one of the ways we say thank you. But I was reading this week. Do you remember the story? Jesus was going along. He was on his way to Jerusalem. And, and there were ten lepers. And uh, if you were a leper, you, couldn't, you had to keep your distance. So they were way back here. And... Uh, they're like, hey, Jesus, can you help us out? Because they couldn't get up close to him or anybody else. And so Jesus said, yeah, go show yourself to the priest. And, and the scripture says, on the way they were healed. 
I mean, he just said, go show yourself to the priest. On the way, they were healed. And, and so they get there and they do what they do with the priest. And, and, then, and then in the story, here's what happened. One of them came back. and said, Jesus, man, thank you. One. And Jesus looked, he looked at his guys and says, were there not ten? And only one said, thank you. How often? How often does God bless us and we forget to say thank you? I read a Gallup poll from a number of years ago. It said 78%, or, which is about, basically four out of five people, say, oh, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm going to go to heaven? Yeah, absolutely. But only 34%, which is one out of three, weekly, regularly attended church. Now, going to church doesn't mean you go to heaven. Don't misunderstand me. But going to church is a great way to come and say, Jesus, thank you for giving me life. I'm going to come and worship you every week. I'm going to learn how to be more like you. And so we are to be grateful. We should be thankful. And then last of all, he says, let us worship with awe and reverence. Now, you need to be careful because that word worship, half the time it's translated service. In fact, when Jesus was being tempted by the devil, he said to the devil, worship the Lord and serve him only. The word serve in Matthew 4.10 is the same word as worship right there. Now, you say, why is that important? Here's why it's important. If you're really going to worship the Lord, and if you're really going to be grateful to the Lord, you've got to be willing to serve the Lord. And when you serve Him, when we serve Him, we are to serve Him with reverence and awe. You know how we assign a responsibility to, a, to one of our kids or maybe to one of our employees, and they do it. But they do it with a grudge. Like, can you take out the trash? And you know, they're maybe they're watching something, or or maybe your wife says to you, take out the trash. And you do it, but you ain't happy about it. Anybody been there? You do it, but you're not happy. That's not how you serve God. The writer says we ought to serve God. We ought to be happy about it. That's what, that's the citizenship, if you will, of the heavenly. And so, let me just say this. Heaven's an awesome place. Wish we had time to describe it for you. Um, People whose names written in the book are going to be there. What you need to wrestle with this morning is your name written in the book. Is your name written in the book? And and the second thing you need to deal with is, if your name's in the book, do you live like it? I mean, are you thankful and grateful? Do you serve him reverently? Do you do that? And if not, I want to challenge you today. Now, it's Father's Day, and I'm a father, so let me just... Do one more thing and we're going to be done. Heaven's an incredible place. I can't describe it. The scripture gives us a little bit of picture of it. Uh, I've never been there, but I've looked enough 
I know it's going to be good. When we talked to when we started talking about having a birthday trip for Bailey and what we were going to do, you know, we talked about this and that, and, and she actually resigned her. So she says, you know, Dad, I'll be happy if we just go out to Petter and Alice and we can cook out. I'd never been down to Garner, but I'd seen the pictures, and I knew it was better. I knew. And so I convinced them we should go. Now, dads, listen to me. When you read the scriptures and you look at the pictures that God's given us, you know heaven is better than what we have here. You know that. The question is, are we doing everything we can to influence our kids to go there? Because here's the thing. Our kids will probably settle for less. But we don't want them to. So dads, we gotta we gotta live gratefully. We've gotta serve worshipfully so we can influence our families mightily. That's what we're called to do. Let's be faithful. Would you join me in prayer? Father, as we uh, as we talk about heaven, it, there's no way to wrap our mind around it. If you've not, you know, it's kind of like going to one of these great places like Alaska or Hawaii or Jenny Lake or the Matterhorn or wherever it is. You, you, you can look at the pictures, but man, until you go there, it ain't the same. God, but we can't go to heaven and come back, so we got to look at the pictures and we got to say, you know, that's a place worth going to. And God, there's some boys and girls and some students and some moms and dads that... Their name's not in the book yet. Lord, they're not going to heaven yet. And my hope is that this morning they would decide, hey, I want to follow Jesus. I want to go to heaven. I want to be a part of that. Father, also this morning, there are some some fathers here like me that we have a great opportunity to influence our kids, maybe our grandkids, maybe even our great-grandkids toward heaven. We know what the book says. We know it's going to be better. God, my prayer and hope is that as dads, we'll live that way. And we'll be persons of influence. So, Father, as we bring our time to a close this morning, Lord, I I want to pray for the dads that are here. I pray that you fill them with your spirit. Father, I pray that you anoint them with your power. God, I pray that you'd help our fathers to live out their faith so well, so faithfully, that that we'd be men who are grateful and thankful, that we would be men who serve faithfully and worshipfully. And God, that we would be men who influence our families mightily. God, help us to do that. God, help us to be faithful to do that. And then, God, I've got to say and I've got to pray If there's a man or a woman or a young person here who's never given their life to Jesus, their name's never been written in the book, man, my hope is that right here today they would surrender their life to Jesus. Lord, that they would come today and say, hey, I want to to give my heart to Christ. God, help them to decide for Jesus today is my prayer. For it's in his name we pray.